It has a name. Of course she has a name. Haven't you ever had a dog? A few times. Well, didn't they have names? Just something to eat. Give her to me. What? Don't. It's time we get to bed, Captain. Yes, you have a great body. May I use it? I'm with the Major. For his personal consumption only? Yes. That's penally unsocial on Earth, you know that? Well, it's not here. Enjoy your blues. To another movie mug, uh, although today is is more of a movie cup really, because I decided to revisit what I call a, a classy sci-fi. I regard it as a classy sci-fi, and it needed a classy drink to enjoy it too. So I chose Yorkshire tea, good old English Yorkshire tea. Now tea really should be drunk from a cup. If you you know, I, I guess that I've got to be multicultural and uh, a little bit ambitious, thinking, hey, who, how many people are actually listening to me? Maybe it only goes into the sort of like sort of one hand, uh, count them on one hand kind of aspect. But uh, that one person on there could be in, uh, you know, sort of Kathmandu or could be in Los Angeles, could be in Iceland. I have absolutely no idea. But uh, us English uh, historically like to drink tea from a cup. Uh, only I don't have any cups. Don't own any. Um, well, that's not entirely true. There is one that my wife has, but it's pink and it's got flowers on it. And I refuse to put it to my lips. I'm sorry. The the closest I can get to today is a well, it's a china mug with a sort of what a tea cupish kind of handle. Um, there'll be a picture on your generic MP3 player or iTunes if you have a look. But uh, it's it's the closest I can get. And it's uh, as it's a film set in the stars, which is today is a, a film set uh, a long way away. It's uh, it's, it's an astrology cup or uh, or mug uh, or mup. That's it. It's a mup. It's an astrology mup. Um, and it's my star sign, which is Virgo. And it's got various images of, you know, uh, the Virgin and some descriptors of Virgoan traits, shall we say. You know, and uh, things like analytical, reliable, meticulous. Uh, intelligent, modest, practical, all things which I believe describe me to some or lesser greater degree. Um, so anyway, like I said, it's a it's a classy sci-fi movie. It's a Marmite movie, this one. You either love it or you absolutely hate it. I don't think there's much middle ground, maybe a little, but generally speaking, the people I know that have seen this, and it's not many, it's not a very widely uh, known film, this, um, you either love it or you absolutely hate it. <clears throat> Personally, I absolutely love it. 1980s Saturn Free. Now, I'm not entirely sure when I first saw this, but I have two rather distinct recollections about it as a kid. So I was definitely a kid when I first saw this. I was probably quite pre-prebescent, probably around about somewhere between 10 and 12, I reckon, when I when I first saw this. Film was out in 1980, so I was eight when it came out of the cinema. Probably my parents rented it on the video a couple of years later, maybe. So 10 to 12, something like that when I first saw this. And I have two distinct recollections, which is kind of why I know it. I saw this quite early on in uh, in my film-watching uh, life. It, the, firstly, there was... I was scared to death by it, <laughs> absolutely petrified by this film, um, which seems quite silly now, but at the time I can sort of kind of see where I was coming from, but I was absolutely petrified of it, so I, I must have been fairly young. And also I remember getting a little bit of a get a, a flash of boob uh, by the uh, by the lead actress in this, so I was definitely prepubescent, and I seem to remember sitting in a, a living room with, you know, my parents sort of like whistling in a... 
what was that kind of way? You know, I was like, oh, let's rewind it. Come on, mum, dad, let's rewind it. No, we're not rewinding it. So, <laughs> you know, so it probably was around about sort of 1982 to 84 when I first seen this. Um, it's set in the far future. Earth is overpopulated. Deep space exploration is a, is a going concern, obviously, from the, with the opening credits, should I say, the opening credits are silent. And maybe that is to add a, a depth to the, the knowledge that we're in deep space, you know, um, or maybe somewhat of a rip-off of Alien, you know, because like Alien, it uses a, you know, sort of like sort of showing you're in deep space kind of set up to the film. And again, like Alien, it uses a kind of a strange font because, interestingly enough, it starts off showing you who who's in the film, which is uh, Farrah Fawcett, who, interestingly enough, gets top billing in this film. Kirk Douglas, second billing, and Harvey Keitel. Those are really the only three people in this film. There's not really anybody else of any note. Um, in fact, there's only a couple of other more faces that turn up, and they're not really on the screen for very long. So three, three act, actors, actresses, really, in this film. Um, and then it shows the title card of the of the film, but... It's in a font that's illegible. If you didn't know you were sitting down to watch Saturn Free, you'd be like, well, uh, what is it? It's Stern Free or Saturn for something like that. It's very, very strange. But the film begins with a kind of a, another nod, I guess, that there's quite a lot of, you know, uh, ripping off of other other films that are around that time. But a big spaceship comes into view, a bit like Star Wars, you know, over the top of your, over the top of the screen, the tip of the, 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 sh- the ship to begin with, followed up by the, well, there isn't any engines to it, but, you know, sort of like floating towards um, a planet, in this case it's Saturn. And it's uh, lumbering into shot. And because the beginning was silent, you get a kind of fanferic kind of announcement of arrival of the ship, um, you know, uh, as it's going uh, over the over your screen and such. And then kind of goes into this weird bleeping and blooping kind of soundtrack that you kind of hear throughout, which I guess kind of supposed to represent sort of like um, something happening, something fast, but also technology. Beep, boop, 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 but very, very weird score this film's got. Um, but that's a different story. So uh, you then get a, a kind of a loud voiceover announcer type, um, almost Superman-ish, almost, um, you know, sort of a Kryptonian um, blaring out that uh, Captain James is needed urgently on Hangar uh, 73, I think it was, I remember rightly, um, to a, a little ship that's sitting on a on a landing bay or, or a, you know, whatever, takeoff bay. Um, it looks a little bit like a fly. It's got this kind of weird, bulbous... It's like a cross between a fly and a helicopter kind of thing. Um, and you get about 30-odd people in weirdly turn up um, to attach six boxes to a ship. It's like half of them just stand there doing nothing. It's a really kind of weird religious kind of ceremony, kind of space religion kind of ceremony thing about it. it requires so many people to attach a couple of boxes to a ship. Captain James is still being called out for, for whatever reason, not there. Urgently required, urgently required. Um, and the reason why he's not turned up is because basically he's been sliced and diced in a rather effective little sequence at the beginning of the film by the chief villain played by Harvey Keitel, a guy called Benson, Captain Benson, Corporal Benson. Can't quite remember what, uh, what I think he was probably a captain to be fair. But um, sliced and diced uh, by, the, uh, by uh, Benson. Um, now, Benson's played in spirit by Harvey Keitel, but not in voice. Very, very weird. You don't really get it to begin with. And having seen a few Harvey Keitel films, um, uh, you know, not... Well, when I first saw the film, I probably wouldn't have noticed any... When I first saw the film, I wouldn't have noticed any difference because I wouldn't have known who Harvey Keitel was. But now watching it, you look at it and you go, geez, yeah, that is not his voice. Um, it's, he wasn't, he was dubbed. His entire performance was dubbed, a bit like Darth Vader. Uh, his entire performance was dubbed by uh, somebody else. Um, 
guy called uh, Roy Dotrice, um, who's been in a lot of TV kind of stuff. He's a British actor, and I don't know why they replaced it. I can't find out any reasons why they replaced his uh, his voice. Maybe the Italian-American, hey, come on, hey, it wasn't really you know good enough for this particular role. They wanted a classic British accent, but uh, or it could have been the fact that the producer of the film wanted a Brit. Nah, I have no idea. Anyway... So he's ter- you steam- he kills this guy, and uh, we first see him wearing a, a completely black flight suit, can't be can't tell, with his kind of weird, um, almost kind of like uh, Giger-esque space helmet. Looks a bit like, looks actually looks a little bit like an early prototype for an alien, which was a year before. So again, another little kind of lumbering nod to films that have been out before it. And it almost has that kind of weird um, sort of alien look to it. Kaitel has failed uh, an evaluation to take on a mission to the moon of Saturn, which is what the film is all about, um, due to his mental un- instability. Uh, he's got a condition for whatever reason. So Captain James, who uh, is the guy who's being called, was going to go and do this mission, but Kaitel for whatever reason, wants to do it, So because he's mentally unstable, more likely. So he kills him and takes his place. On the moon of Saturn 3, you've got uh, Adam, played by Kirk Douglas, uh, and you've got Alex, played by Farrah Fawcett. Now, they have been living a kind of idyllic life compared to the rigours of you know space travel and the problems elsewhere in the universe, and they've been growing food for everyone else using hydroponics and this facility on Titan. There's no one else there, it's just those two. They've been living together for three years, and because they've been living so close, they've become lovers, even though there's quite a massive age gap between the two of them. Um, Alex uh, has lived all of her life in space. She was born in space, lived in line, never been to Earth, whereas Douglas's character has you know, been around a bit. He's done seen it all, and he's, uh, he knows what it's all about. But um, Benson arrives, Harvey Cartel's character arrives, um, as the fake Captain Adams, to deliver, build, and then train up an experimental robot which is designed to increase output of the facility so obviously they're not happy with you know like any corporation they want more 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 they want greater output so they build this robot now it's it's a demigod series of robot that um uh, is, is a fantastic name the demigod series and it, it kind of does look a bit it looks like the bastard child of uh, Robbie the Robot and Johnny Five out of Short Circuit. <laughs> That's the best way I can explain how this robot looks. It's about seven foot tall, built like a brick shithouse. It's got a kind of metal six pack, essentially. And, it's got, and then it's got this weird uh, Luxo-style lamp, you know, from Pixar, at the beginning of the Pixar films, that the little lamp with the little angle poise. Uh, yeah, that's what's on his top of his head. With this weedy little head with two little um, sort of white Dalek eyes uh, and a, what looks like a little circuit board underneath and, a, and an antenna, a little Wi-Fi antenna on one side. And it's really, really strange. It looks a little bit like the big dude in Beetlejuice with shrunk heads. Do you know, remember what I mean? A really, really weird setup they've got. This huge, big, hulking, massive robot. A tiny little head. <laughs> it's very, very strange. The canister that Cartel stole at the beginning of the film contains the brain which is in a cylinder, a huge big brain that they're going to put into this robot. And it's filled with brain matter from unborns, basically fetuses, that have no knowledge. There's nothing on it in this case. It's a complete blank slate. And Kaitel's uh, responsibility is to build and train this robot. Um, and he's going to train him using his own brain as such. He's got this, Kaitel's character's got this weird little um, uh, hole on the back of his uh, head that he puts this... Um, 
or I guess it's like an early kind of USB stick kind of thing into the back of his head that, that will talk to the demigod robot. Hector is the name of the robot. Uh, and train him. And you see him going through various training aspects after he's built the robot. You know, just doing basic stuff like lifting his hand up and moving across and, you know, picking things up and then teach it to play chess. But because Kaito's character is mentally unstable um, and has... And, and creates strong desires for Farrah Fawcett's characters and also has some murderous tendencies thrown in there for the good mix. The robot gets infused with all of these things because it's learning directly from Kaitel's brain. So it essentially becomes Kaitel, and later on in the film, he duly does become the character in a uh, in a rather rather interesting scene. And the rest of the film is, is about a cat and mouse affair, really, through the corridors facility, and there's some neat sequences that make for a good little sci-fi thriller. You've got... Uh, the two, the, uh, Adam and Alex, who want Kaitel's character to go away, they don't want him there. They don't want this robot because the robot will end up replacing one of them. So they have no interest in it, but he can't leave because there's a blackout, there's a, an eclipse on at the moment, so nobody can see what's going on on that particular side of the uh, of, of the moon. Uh, they can't communicate out, which is a very handy little plot twist. There you go. But uh, And obviously Kaitel wants... Farrah Fawcett uh, and the robot wants that as well kind of thing so it then becomes a, a struggle you know a power struggle good good versus evil kind of thing and it's uh, and it's quite effective it's a really decent little film to be fair but it could have been so much much more it's a fantastic premise that's looking for a really decent script now a guy called Stanley Donnan directed this. Now, I'm sure he's a fantastic director. He's, uh, he's well-versed in Hollywood. He directed uh, Singing in the Rain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, On the Town. Now, if you know anything about movies, you'll notice there's a little bit of a similarity there. They're all musicals. They're all old-school Hollywood musicals. And now he's directing this sci-fi thriller uh, and it, it, it just it, it, it's, it's a bit plodding really for it you know nothing ever really gets going um, I, there's, they're hampered by the technology of the day there's no doubt about that but really realistically it could have done with a director with a little bit of a, a little bit of verve and a little bit of sass about him somebody who really understands sci-fi I'm not saying that it needed to be you know like a Spielberg or a Scott or something like that but the, he, he actually was uh, he replaced the original director a guy called John Barry who was who's much more known for his production design. He was a production designer on like the Superman films and stuff like that, you know, back in the 70s. And he's uh, quite famous for that particular thing. He actually originated the original story for Saturn Free, but he was pulled from being the director at the last minute by uh, Kirk Douglas for some on-set shenanigans, not quite sure what. But um, And unfortunately, he then died in 1979, so realistically had very little to do with this film i guess you know apart from maybe the setup in the original the original story the screenplay was written by martin amos who's much more famous for being a novelist um so you know used to long narratives rather than being tightly paced and stuff like that so you know it it, it didn't have the best people at its helm in my opinion uh, you know rightly or wrongly it, and it was universally absolutely critically slated on its release it was nominated for Razzies and you know, didn't take any money. I mean, you know, it, it's end of career stuff for some of these guys and some of them didn't do a lot else afterwards, to be fair. Um, and it's because the script is so bad. The, the, as I said, the premise is really, really great, but the script is just it's not good. The, the sets, the design, the look of the fear the, and the feel of the movie, uh, and they look brilliant. They still look brilliant, even after all these years, in my opinion. It's it's just a film in search of a great script. It, the dialogue is atrocious, really, really poor. At one point, Kaitel says to Farrah Fawcett, 
point blank, no emotion whatsoever, which I guess is kind of the idea is that, you know, he's, he's emotionless and he's a, he's just a robot and he's a, he's a bit of a renegade, but you know, uh, you have a great, he's wanting to get with Farrell, you have a great body, may I use it? And it's, it's supposed to be cold in its nature, but the way he delivers it and the fact that it's not even his voice coming out of Kaitel's mouth, it's just laughable. Uh, one of the other problems is the fact that the, the robot is, a. Uh, you know, it's called demigod. You know, I mean, it's it's quite a a threatening. The idea of it is quite a threatening robot. And then this poxy little, you know, angle poised lamp on the top of his head kind of just like it makes it a little bit more cutesy kind of thing. Um, they they have this threatening score that goes behind it. This kind of like sort of dum 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 sort of um, chanting when the robot's on screen. And then when it moves, it's kind of, kind of like a, you know old school robot. You can't imagine it being convincingly menacing when he can just run away from it. Um, Bit like a Dalek, you know, except without the 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 the, the lasers. Um, obviously, limited to the tech of the day. You know, you can't really argue for that. I mean, you know, it. it there's a lot of good about it. Like I say I do really enjoy this film. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of things that just just quite weren't quite right. There are some standout scenes. Um, the one at the beginning, like I mentioned, um, where they're trying to get hold of uh, Captain James and uh, Harvey Keitel uh, slices and dices uh, Captain James using. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it is. He's in an airlock and he opens the airlock and for some reason there's these wires hanging above the ceiling that slice him into bits and pieces i mean more bits than there are wires you would have you have to see it to understand it but it seems to get shredded as opposed to just cut into blocks but there you go um so that's a really good scene there's a lot of there's some enticing anti-gravity or or, or artificial gravity shots showing people walking above each other uh and the spaceships are really well designed and it actually as a kid i remember it, it captured my imagination because as a kid uh in the local library in the town where i used to live i used to go there after school and sort of weekend stuff like that you know when i wasn't playing for, you know other kids stuff but i used to go there and get these books out and they were all books about uh they were like surrounding like asimov isaac asimov's kind of like um theory about space travel and uh future nasa projects and stuff like that and all these fantastic intricate little drawings and paintings of starships and life on other planets and I do remember quite distinctly seeing something which uh, was like a, a tube, uh, a cylinder with a planet that rotates all the way around the outside or the inside of the tube. Uh, and it just reminded me of Halo. Well, when I saw Halo, I was like, oh, it looks like that, you know, that kind of that cylindrical kind of thing. And I, was, I just saw it years and years ago. So it's, uh, but it, it's like that, a really, really techy kind of So Chris Foss is a, is a designer, modern day designer who does similar sort of things. Very, very intricate, detailed drawings of, of life on other planets. And this film echoed a little bit of that. And that's what kind of sort of grabbed my attention a little bit and was like, ah, oh, this film is great because it was the first film that really, really showed uh, that kind of level of detail, for, for me anyway. Um, there's another great scene where Alex, Farrah Fawcett, gets a, a splinter in her eye, kind of like a shard of a chip or something. Um, and Benson, Harvey Keitel's character, orders the robot to remove it. Now, she's not particularly keen on that idea. He says that, no, he can do it, it's no problems whatsoever. He holds her down, Harvey Cartel holds her down, w- opens her eye wide open, you know, sort of the lid is, is wide open, and the robot moves in. He's, initially, he's got this huge, big, bulking kind of claw that you see earlier on tapping out uh, on a console, and then at the end of that come these two little, tiny, little thin strips of metal, like a tweezer, and it's getting closer and closer to her eye, and it, it's a little bit reminiscent of the... Uh, if you listen to more of my other podcast, the uh, um, the one about zombie flesh eaters, about the splinter going towards the woman's eye in one of the nastiest scenes, a bit like that. It's not as nasty as nowhere near as gory, but that kind of like it's getting closer, it's getting closer, and you can see her eye, and it won't blink, and it's opening wide, and she's really, really scared. And then all of a sudden, it just sort of zooms in. 
the, the tweezers zooms into her eye, clasps this little uh, um, little chip, little splinter, and pulls it out with little or no, you know, no problems whatsoever. And then she's fine. But it's a really, really good, nice little tense scene and shows what the robot is capable of doing, uh, even though never really, never really, uh, never really sort of embellishes on that later in the in the in the film in terms of you know, how fast it can move and stuff like that. Um, the robot is also the robot gets destroyed at one point or gets gets these gets its he gets his brain taken out by um, bent by Harvey Keitel's character, and then he dismantles it a little bit because it's going a bit nuts. So he takes the arms and stuff off. He, the other robots in the place, kind of like um, movers and shifters, uh, robots. You know, not 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 sentient sort of stuff. He he controls them and they, they put him back together in a really really nice little sequence. And it reminded me of Christine, the way the car gets put back together. And uh, and I thought that was really really cool. So there's a couple of really really nice scenes, really sci-fi kind of stuff. The music um, is really interesting as well because it goes from the real surreal to the sublime. It, like I said, starts off with nothing at all, then goes into this sort of chanting, fanfaric kind of thing. When the monster, when, when the monster and the robot turns up, it's all chanting and godlike, boom, boom, a bit like the Omen, kind of thing. And then at the end, you get all this blippy, bloppy, little kind of weird score, and it's it's very, very surreal and doesn't doesn't really fit it, but it's 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 it's, it's a fascinating listen. Um, but it, I think it's a great film. I think it's it's very cold and calculating in places. It's it's quite hardcore sci-fi stuff. I think you know that again wasn't really wasn't really um, embellished on in the script as such. You know that you didn't really play to its strengths as a how hardcore sci-fi I believe this is. The production design obviously was I thought was really really good, but it was after Star Wars, and it's kind of got that alien kind of feel about it. They obviously took a little bit of a cue from Alien, which was the year before. Um, the acting ain't great; it really isn't. I mean, the fact that they dubbed Kaitel uh, doesn't speak uh, much you know, in volumes of, of this film, and you know Kirk Douglas fighting Kaitel buck naked you know it really adds nothing to to it and he's a little bit you know he's kind of like he's just phoning it in i'm guessing that he probably got pretty well paid for it anyway but um he makes some really strange facial expressions when he's fighting cartel as well you know you have to see it to believe it but um like i said it's a marmite movie you either love it or you don't um it's got plenty of problems but i love it because of that and i think you know keep the premise Get a great screenwriter, you know, remake it. Get a great screenwriter. Put some real modern effects on the on a dangerous robot that you can, you know, that you can see moving around a little bit like the one that's in Red Planet. If you ever seen Red Planet with Val Kilmer, that robot could have quite easily replaced this one. And uh, you could have a really cracking sci-fi thriller that would be uh, loved by a lot more people. But it's it's quite a it's quite a minority film, and I believe that you know I am liking this. I am in the minority in liking this, but uh, but I enjoyed it, uh, and I specifically enjoyed it with today's Mup of tea. Uh, but there you go, that's today's movie. Month.